Hi everyone! Thank you for joining us. This is Are these books books drunk? 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 Oh, I always finish way before you guys. (laughs) I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we're talking about My Sister the Serial Killer by Oinka Braithwaite. A thriller about Nigerian sisters, Koriday, a meticulous head nurse, and Ayula, a beautiful and impenetrable serial killer. Yeah. Chicas, I'm psyched to chat about the first few sections of this dark, yet funny and fast-paced novel. Yes. Me too. Where we intentionally leave ourselves and our listeners on a cliffhanger. Oh. <laughs> so let's get those cocktails flowing. Yes, please. <laughs> All right. Today's cocktail pairing has another fun name. Today we're drinking... Dun, dun, dun... The Lady Killer. Ooh. Cheers to dark, mysterious female serial killers. Am I right? Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Here to share the recipe for this sweet but murderous cocktail is our official bartender in residence, Ricardo. 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 Ciao, ragazze. Benvenute. Hola. Hi. How are you? We're, we're great. Yeah, fabulous. We're, we're ready to drink. Good, <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> so today's cocktail is called Lady Killer. Although I don't Ooh. understand why is, is it because I it wouldn't be able to kill anyone given the alcohol content. So I'm going to give you the original <laughs> recipe. Oh, all right. And uh, a drunk girl recipe. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So this cocktail was uh, invented in uh, Switzerland by Peter Roth in 1984, and he won the first prize in the Zurich National Contest with this cocktail. They wow. were searching for something sweet, and he created definitely something sweeter. So let's go down deep in the recipe and let's understand why it's so sweet and I'm going to give you the other version that it makes it a little drier and a little bit more enjoyable. Yes, yes, please. please. So the original recipe called for one ounce of gin, half an ounce of Cointreau or triple sec, half an ounce of apricot brandy, two ounces of pineapple juice and two ounces of um, passion fruit juice. All the ingredients in the shaker, shake and strain over ice in a Collins or in a long flute, in a double flute, because it's a very long cocktail. Mm. And usually the garnish is a pineapple leaf or a mint. How long is it? It's long. (laughs) (laughs) Long enough. The version that I created for Mariana and Brandy, especially Brandy, <laughs> is basically cutting the, the sweetness that all the juices bring into the cocktail and, uh, and uh, raising a little bit the amount of gin, especially oh. if we are using, I was using beef eater, so I highly recommend to use a London dry gin, not a super flavored and complex profile gin because otherwise yeah. you're going to lose all the 
all the juniper and all the other botanicals that you have in the gin with the with the juices that are gonna cover pretty much everything. Sure. So okay, the second version calls for one ounce and a half of Lo of a London dry gin that you prefer, half of an ounce of Cointreau or, or triple sec, a quarter of an ounce of apricot brandy. Mm. and an ounce of pineapple juice and just another ounce of passion fruit juice. It's way, way, way less sweet. You can actually taste the gin a little bit and yeah. it helps to cut a little bit the sugar profile that both the juices, the passion fruit and the pineapple have. Yeah, it was We're a lot. watching those calories. It's a still lot. summertime. <laughs> <laughs> Another little variation. I know that for a lot of us, it's very difficult to find apricot brandy or in right. general to find a good apricot brandy. Uh -huh. I did it with Amaretto di Saronno mm, for yep, a little bit same, of Italian same. pride. But uh, it works well, and especially in the version with a quarter of an ounce where you can taste it, but it's not cover. It's not covering all the other profile. Yeah, this, it's not overpowering. Yeah. Yeah. So, nice. A la vostra salute, girls. Uh, ciao, Thank Ricardo. You. Ciao. Thank you as always. Gracias. Cheers. 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 Hi, ladies. Oh. Mm. Oh, gin, baby, said, yeah. Yeah. Ricardo said he wasn't sure why this drink is called Lady Killer because it couldn't kill anyone, but I think it could kill me from the sweetness. Yeah, I think it's like an interesting juxtaposition. I accidentally made this with pomegranate juice instead of passion fruit. Ha, you never break my rules. I never do. I know it wasn't on purpose. It was a mistake. But mine has an interesting like edge, like an interesting little bit of bitterness in the sweetness. Like I get like a tart. Sweet. Yeah, and then I get like a tiny finish of bitter, and that to me is like the knife in the back. Ooh. Like it seems really oh. sweet, and then I like, mm, I get it. Killing you, lady. Slowly. Killing me, Killing softly, me softly. Slowly. <laughs> so this week's read starts off with a bang or a slash. Oh. <gasps> See what I did there? Mm -hmm. Bang, bang, bang. Set in Lagos, Nigeria, Corade gets a call from her sister Ayula, who has killed her boyfriend Femi on their one-month anniversary, and Corade rushes to help clean up the crime scene and dispose of the body. Hmm. Apparently, he's the third man Ayula has had to, quote-unquote, protect herself from. Hmm. We meet a colorful cast of characters and regulars at the hospital where Corade works as a nurse, as well as her confidant Mutar, a patient who's in a coma, and her crush, the handsome Dr. Tode. Tode. At home, Ayula and Corade's mother seems fixated on turning Ayula into a good wife. She'll surely have a husband someday. And we learned that the knife Ayula used to kill Femi and presumably the other two men she killed belong to their father, who seems volatile and violent and who is, weirdly, no longer in the picture, though we don't know why yet. And in the final chapter we read, Ayula shows up at the hospital to see Corriday, where she, of course, crosses paths with Tode who is absolutely spellbound by her. Dun, dun, dun. What's going to happen? So Corette, our narrator, has such a sense of humor right off the bat about this situation. 
She describes getting the call from her sister just as she was about to sit down to dinner. And she comments, by the time I get home, the food will be cold. Like that's her first thought about her dinner. (laughs) She starts out the section body like it's a joke. She says, have you heard this one before? Two girls walk into a room. (laughs) It might as well be two girls walk into a bar. But then she turns the cleaning up of the body into a kind of to-do list. Mm -hmm. She says, first, they gather supplies. Second, they clean up the blood. Third, they turn him into a mummy. Fourth, they move the body. And fifth, they bleach. She is so darkly comical in the way she sort of sets things up. Yeah, like like it's a punchline. Yeah. The way that I read this whole first chunk of the book is that it felt like it was really being set up like a TV pilot does. You know, we quickly move from scene to scene and she's quickly introducing each character in like rapid fire and setting up the whole situation in such a short amount of time. You know, we just Mm -hmm. read the first 54 pages and I feel like she's kind of setting up the rest of the story, just like a pilot does, which was enjoyable for me. It, It almost moved too quickly, but... I know. I got the information I needed. I know. It's so funny how quickly it did move, but I was just so entertained and I was uncomfortably (laughs) finding myself laughing out loud at the way she wrote certain things in a good way because it's such satire. There's such exaggeration in certain things that she makes so light of these really intensely dark moments yeah that it's yeah. so it's amazing for her to have that duality of being able to bring so much humor into her work speaking of humorous wh- <laughs> my first question because at the top we find out that Ayula has killed her boyfriend Femi in the bathroom and I'm like yeah what were they doing in the bathroom do we know for sure he got killed in the bathroom or yeah did she maybe like drag that's him where in the there? body he definitely- was he was in the bathroom Yeah, it made me wonder, like, if she surprised him while he was, like, washing his hands or something. You know what I mean? Well, it's another good question. Right. Was it, like, was it planned? Or did it just happen when, did they happen to both be in there together? And she was like, that's it. But she did have the knife on her. She had the knife, yeah, to that point. And according to Coraday, she said that Ayula was basically defending herself that there was some sort of physical struggle like a huge fight yeah so which i think also was the excuse that was given for the other two that it was the previous murders yeah self-defense of some kind must have been a really bad fight yeah we don't actually know what transpired because it does seem that ayula says that that Corday says that Ayula has had several of these incidents, but she always leaves unscathed. She doesn't have any marks on her body physically. Right. So were these? Well, and we very quickly learn, we don't know much about Femi, but we very quickly get to read this poem that he wrote to Ayula for, I, I assume it was for their one month anniversary or maybe it was before, but it was super sweet and just about how lovely she was. Maybe so the at problem the very, is it was too sweet. Like, like this drink. This cocktail. Cha-ching. <laughs> 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 maybe she doesn't like, maybe well. she likes more the chase, you know, and the fight. And then as soon as he's head over heels for her, she's like, no, 
Or maybe she doesn't like being singled out for her looks. Maybe because I did read that mm. in the poem. I forget what specifically, but it was very much about how beautiful she is. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if that could have been maybe what set her off is that he's not with her necessarily for like the quote unquote right reasons. Mm. But then there was and I and I'm not exactly sure word for word. There was something that Corday brought up that. Ayula loves to be worshipped so much that she just gave mm. into that. And this poem mm. was a sense of worship. Absolutely. So she was, was. like, okay, then I'm going to go for it, I guess. If he's obsessed with me, might as well. But does she love um, being worshipped because that's her type? And then that enables her, like, serial killer side to, like, come out mm. or something. Yeah. And since you said serial killer, Corday oh. does mention that Femi, Femi is the third guy that Ayula has killed. Right. And apparently, once you've killed three people, you are officially a serial killer. A serial so like, that's fine. Right. And we don't know anything about those other two. So we don't know if they're a similar type. We don't know what the similarities could be between. Not yet. Not yet. What I was wondering when I was reading this, I was I was asking myself, like, if I could see myself ever killing someone out of self-defense, yeah. which I've actually thought about maybe more so more often than I think any is woman healthy. has to think about that. Yeah, that's so fucked. But because I always think I would never, ever want to be in a physical fight with someone. But if someone were actually coming for me and my health or my safety or like a loved one, I think I could kill. Oh, absolutely. I think I would just like give a really big blow to the balls and then like just punch him in the face for a really long time. That's how I would do it. I think it. I'd Have go you thought for about the it? neck jab, the like I'd go for the neck jab and then the eye jab and then like run. Yeah, I, I would kill them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if you get him really hard in the throat, I don't know if the eyeballs would No, I don't think it would You're kill strong. Them. Yeah, now that Could, she writes the peloton. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'll just I'll I'll hit him in the throat, hit him in the eyes, and then I'll ride my Peloton home. <laughs> that'll be my that'll be my escape plan. Mariana, could you kill anyone? Sure. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> She's like, have I killed Thieves. anyone? I know, I had to think for a second. <laughs> the Colombian in me, now if we're talking right. about stereotypes, absolutely. <laughs> this happens on a weekly basis. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm When I thought about your question, Emma, I'm feeling like your instincts would like kind of kick in. Yeah. yeah. The adrenaline. The adrenaline and everything is going. Yeah. Like if you find yourself in that state... I think you would just fight like you've never fought before. And I'm sure you would find strength where you didn't think you had any. If it was self-defense. Like, I feel like you would just find right. yourself. Oh, I actually have a story. <laughs> I just thought of something. I don't know if I had Uh-oh. mentioned this to both of you. Oh, gosh. So, um, Andrew and I'm I live nervous. on the Upper West Side in Manhattan. And one day we were walking back. Mm-hmm. This was before COVID. This was probably late February, we're walking back from a movie around midnight, and we actually heard the sound of fireworks going off. But then we heard that sound multiple times, and we then started seeing people running. (gasps) It was gunshots? A couple of gunshots, and we're talking about on the Upper West Side, on Amsterdam Avenue, between, I think, 90th and 91st. I've been living in New York for 18 years, 
never Jesus, has anything that's a long like time. Never has any of that something like that happened. But at that moment, it's like instinctually Andrew grabbed my hand wow. and we started running for our lives and we hid behind of a, a iron mailbox. Because that's what you do. It's like that's what you know your life Jesus. could be is flashing before your eyes. What do you do? You and that's what you think. do. Yeah, you just do. You just do it. So, yeah, I guess well, that could happen. So the answer is, yes, you probably could kill someone out of self-defense. Yeah. Yeah. For all of us, I think. One of the interesting things I had, though, sort of going off that question, is I kept asking myself when Corday was helping her clean up, and it becomes clear that it's not the first time, I kept wondering why Corday continues to be an accomplice to this when she seems so clearly against it. And there's this quote, a friend will help you move, a good friend will help you move a body. And I asked my husband, Jason, once (laughs) if I killed someone, whether he'd help me cover it up. And I was shocked because he 100% unequivocally said, no, we would call the police. (laughs) Sweet Jason. Totally. And so I wondered while I was reading this, is there anyone you could see yourself moving a body for no questions asked you don't know what happened no questions asked my mom my dad and andrew i was just gonna say yeah my mom my dad my brother or ricardo yeah same my mom my dad my sisters and jason even though he wouldn't help (laughs) me even though he wouldn't do it in return (laughs) (laughs) like direct family yeah. Yeah, I would be you shitting my pants and fucked, freaking though. out, but you two better not fucking call me cuz I'll turn you in quick. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving up, I mean, it depends too, like how what is the weight of this person that we're talking about? Like if it's a really yeah. heavy corpse. But this is a man. It's a man. That's got to be heavy. What? Okay. Well, there are some slender men little boned men but yes okay i agree it's probably that's a heavy ass body than we are that's got to be 150 pounds at the bare minimum it's definitely more weight than the three of us i mean individually we both are very petite women there's no way that we can handle that on our own and it's dead weight so that's really heavy. i lift weights Wait, but that's that's interesting because this isn't something I thought about when I was reading it. I didn't think about how the two of them alone were able to lift, carry this guy. I mean, they did take the elevator in the building, they but took still, the lift, like, how right. did they carry him? I didn't think about that. But I did think during that whole sequence, it does seem like Corday is putting in a lot of effort and she's the one who's really worried about the timing of things and who's going to see us and is somebody going to try to get in the elevator. And Ayula's very, like, chill about it. She even almost holds the door open for somebody Yeah, when they, like, are like, hold the elevator. Well, I think that's instinctively because she... I think she met Corday. Corday mentions that that's just like in her personality. She's just such a nice person that she wants to help, which is so <laughs> ironic. <laughs> no, but speaking of Corday and her, you know, blase attitude about this, that really shocked me because she's a nurse. Her job is to save people's lives. I don't understand how she's so chill with knowing that her sister has murdered three people. But that's the thing here. We're talking about the third person that Eula has murdered. She's done this twice before. That's what I'm saying. Right. How she's okay with it. 
But there has to be more of a reason of her just being okay with it. I think there's something else that happened prior to this previous murder or who was murdered that has caused her to have to be an accomplice or have to also protect herself or why she's protecting her sister. I think there's more behind. And she also mentions at some point that the two other individuals, she knew them. She didn't know Femi, but she mm-hmm. knew the other two individuals. Right. So who were these other two individuals? Were they just Ayula's boyfriends or was it something else, which I'm sure that we'll get more into the discussion of the other characters of, of that we've met during the section of the novel. But yeah, I have a theory about one of those. Mm-hmm. I have a theory about other one murders. of those, too. I wonder if it's <laughs> the same <laughs> one. The same theory. <laughs> <laughs> but on this note, I... I found it really interesting that Corday can't sort of wrap her head similar to you around what Ayula has done. And yet, like you said, it's the third time this has happened. But it does seem like she's hardcore judging Ayula when she goes and talks to Mutar, who, you know, is the character who's in a coma at the hospital. She talks a, a little bit about Femi and what happened. But then she also very quickly like flips the script and starts talking about her crush on Tade, the doctor at the hospital. Tode? Tode. Tade. Tode. Neymark? Neymark. Tode. Tode. Ladies. She, yeah, she can't. <laughs> she can't help talking about her crush, Tode. And I'm like, she just helped clean up her sister's third murder. Why is she talking about her crush? And it made me wonder, are these two more alike than we think they are? Or that then even um, Corday wants to think that they are. Well, I was wondering that too because there's so much talk about the comparison of them physically, like how beautiful right. Ayula is, and mm-hmm. Corday doesn't feel that she is as attractive as Ayula. Which right. I, and there's a lot of examples too why she might think that because men are clearly more drawn to Ayula than to Corday, and even their mom seems to have right. Opinions, And so that could be something, you know, maybe they are more similar in their dark qualities, mm. but Ayula is able to get away with it. Maybe Corday even wishes that she could do it, but she knows that she wouldn't get away with it because she doesn't have the looks. Ooh. That's interesting. That is interesting. But I'm also curious if this is more of a way, a coping mechanism for her to cope with the situation at hand. Like in, Who, in addition to Corday. For her to be coping with it, and that's why she starts talking about Tode to this unconscious patient of hers, because it's a way to just cope with the situation as to how nervous she is of protecting her sister. Like, we're talking about murders here. Like, we're not just, you know. But is it protecting yeah. her sister, or is it hoping that she doesn't get caught? I, well, protecting yeah, I think each that's other. a piece of it, too, yeah. The other reason why this feels, or the other, the other, like, missing piece of information that I I haven't really I feel like there's a correlation but I haven't figured out what it is yet is that we know that Corday works in the hospital and I noticed that she kept referencing that the hospital was dirty that Mm -hmm. it wasn't as clean as she wanted it to be and I I thought that was so I'm not sure what how that connects I feel like we'll find out later but because she's really the meticulous one in terms of cleaning up the aftermath you know she knows the ammonia yeah. solution to clean up the blood and she knows about the bleach and she has the cleaning solution for the guy who's supposed to be cleaning the hallways and isn't did you guys pick up on that 
Yeah, I mean, I kept noticing that it seemed like the people who worked around her or who work around her at the hospital are kind of negligent. Mohammed, as you mentioned, isn't very good at his job. He's supposed to be cleaning. He's not. He's like flirting with somebody. Yinka, her coworker, literally sleeps at her desk with her eyes open. She's learned how to sleep with her eyes open so that she can sleep at work. There's uh, this patient later who plays with her wedding ring while she's while she's talking with Tode as if she's pondering whether or not to take it off. And then they even at the very beginning, they talk about how they had to change the color of the uniforms at the hospital to a light pink because the white ones were turning a dingy cream color. And I realized that it's all of them except for Corridays. And hers are still bright white and nobody can kind of figure I think Tode even asks her at one point, how do you do that? And she's like, the Google machine is your friend. And I think normally a character in all like pure white would be a symbol of like purity or right. innocence or something like that. But then I also thought we know from the murder scene that she likes bleach. She knows how to use bleach. She knows what it does. And it just made me feel like she's surrounded by all of this dirtiness in the hospital, mm-hmm. the people she and stuff. But it's just she's a it's clean sort freak. of. Yes, but it made me wonder: is that real? She is the narrator here. I was How just about to say that. She? Right, it's her point of view. It's yeah. her point it's of her view. Point of view. There's always they always say that there are three perspectives or three three views of every story there's your perspective there's the other person's perspective and then there's the truth of the story the essence or what actually happened Mm -hmm. and i'm really wondering because she says except for tode her obsession as far as we know everybody else awful worker and everyone else is dirty she even talks about that she wishes she could dismiss one of the other cleaners because he smells so bad so she's very detailed and very specific about everybody else's errors and mistakes and judges everyone so i'm wondering if it's a way for us not to like kind of she's deflecting yeah I think it's really interesting, too, the way she we finally get into um, a section about Ayula at home. And this is after the murder has taken place. And I found it so interesting, the imagery that surrounds Ayula. After the murder, she's lounging in the bed without a care in the world, except for the fact they don't have AC, which she kind of makes a weird joke about claiming I'm dying here because it's so hot. She's in a lacy bra and a thong, and she even pulls down her underwear at one point right in front of Corday and announces that she has to pee, and she plops herself down on Corday's toilet, even though Corday notes that Ayula has her own, but she's like, it's too hot to even say anything about that. I would do that, at- too. I, I guess so. <laughs> that wasn't like, weird to me. You've just murdered somebody. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like you're hanging out in your underwear that's you're, true it's not like oh you're my God, saying what have weird I just stuff done? about i want to die and it's like well yeah you just killed somebody but isn't that and like then, isn't that a sign of like a sociopath that they're completely ob- oblivious of everything except yeah. for their own needs right well and then the thing that i found really interesting was in the dancing chapter uh Corday tells us that ayula's room has this sort of weird juxtaposition going on it's a dainty room with plush toys juxtaposed with the bold black strokes of the quote-unquote artwork 
And those are Corday's quotes. She calls it artwork. And it's mm. artwork from one of the boys, I guess, who was in love with Ayula at some point and who she didn't deem fit for attention. But I felt like that artwork juxtaposed with her dainty room, it's almost a representation of what's going on inside Ayula. There's the one Ayula that the world sees, and then there's the Ayula that's really inside. Mm -hmm. The dainty one versus the bold black, quote unquote, artwork. That's deep, but <laughs> but I can connect to that. I mean, I think I... A lot of us can relate to feeling like there's someone inside that that no one else really sees of you that maybe you connect to more, but you're portrayed as another thing. I mean, I remember like for years I used to get so pissed off because people would tell me that I was so cute. And I was like, I'm not fucking cute. You know, like made me because inside I was like, I'm a badass. Like I'm a strong woman. But people kept calling me cute. And Aww. I feel like there's you know, there's this really yeah. dark side of Ayula inside that she knows is her power, but no one would know. Except for it's I think It's interesting, Corday. too, though, that this person who painted the art, who may or may not be one of the people she murdered, I guess. Well, probably not, because then Corday would know. But it's interesting. It's the the guy who painted those things, those bold black stripes or whatever she calls them. He's the one who saw that. What if the artwork, the bold black strokes, are blood? Oh my God, stop. <laughs> what if Ayula made artwork out of the blood of one of the guys oh she killed? Oh my God. <laughs> Maybe that's why just... artwork is in quotations. I don't think so, but it would be interesting. It could be. Well, again, I feel like... This is what we're saying that how Ayula probably is or maybe that she has these two personalities, the ones that the rest of the world sees and the ones that she knows that where her power lies. But we are also hearing it again from Corday's perspective. Right. And this is about a sister relationship. Mm -hmm. So then that started to make me think about relationships, sibling relationships in general, because I don't have that experience right. whatsoever. Yeah. My parents both have big families. My mom is one of three. My dad is one of five. So mm -hmm. I know that with siblings, there is a label that's given to each of the siblings. I don't know if it's incidentally given to them, if it's intentional or unintentional, depending on like where they grew up or their culture. But here it seems to me that the way they're perceived by their mom, they have labels. And I and, yeah. and for me that's just like Yep. I'm I'm wondering that with you guys, you, Brandy, you're one of three girls. Emma, yeah. you have a brother. Yeah. Do you guys have specific labels do you have this sibling rivalry do you did you find any correlations or connections with these two characters outside from the insanity of being one of them being a serial killer did you do you guys feel any of that while you were reading these first sections or chapters i didn't really and i think because i don't have a sister like i can understand the sibling connection um and i do feel like if my brother Shmoo. If he needed, <laughs> his name is Sam. I call him Shmoo. 
if he ever listens <laughs> to this, he might be mad that I'm announcing that. But sorry, Hi, Shmoo. Shmoo. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that if he ever needed anything, I would do. I, I would move a body for him. I said I would move a body for him. So if he ever needed anything, I would be there. But I didn't feel the same. I guess like kinship that I, I think there is something very specific between sister and sister relationships. I'm actually mm-hmm. really curious to hear how that resonated with you, Brandy. Um, no, we, I mean, we had sibling rival rivalry when we were really young. Like we fought a lot, but now we're, now I love him. I mean, I loved him then too, but now I really love him. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. He's a cool dude. It's interesting because I do have two little sisters and Shibli and I are about two and a half years apart and then Chardonnay and I are about 18 years apart. So there's like a huge gap there. But I have to say, I think my parents were always really conscientious about not pitting us against each other in that way or like giving us titles of like, oh, Brandy's the one who's good at this or Shibli is good at that. They they kind of unanimously, my parents have a very dark sense of humor, so they kind of unanimously across the board uh, gave us all titles, and I am ungrateful number one, <laughs> Shibli is ungrateful number two, and Chardonnay is ungrateful number three, and that's like, that's as far as the comparisons go. There was an old one, a middle one, and a young one, and that's it, but you're all ungrateful. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's fascinating. So I guess yeah. it, in a way it does go more with sisters because from my maybe, I don't know, not that your parents or, did it in a derogatory way at all, but there was something humorous about it, about how you guys were labeled. Right. I don't know if it's so much sisters. I think it's anytime siblings of the same gender, maybe, or the same gender identification. There's there's bound to sort of in their minds be comparisons about it. I just think my parents were really good about being like, we're not doing this. You're all equally ungrateful. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. My parents just made us really um, supportive of one another. Like I I went to all of Sam's soccer games and he went to all of my shows. God love him. I think he was miserable, but. Why do you say that? Did you love going to soccer games? I actually did. I actually really, he was really good at soccer and I, and I liked soccer. I played it for a while and I was decent, but he was really and good. And you're a professional actor, so I'm sure he enjoyed seeing you perform as well. <laughs> She's Someday like, no. I'll ask him what the <laughs> least favorite thing he saw me in was. <laughs> I'm talking when we're kids though, you know, that wasn't very entertaining. <laughs> I can imagine. He's going to be like, I hated seeing you as the potato in the Thanksgiving play. I would be a potato. <laughs> no, no. You would be a what carrot. What would I be? I think you would be a carrot. Why? Because of the red hair? And you're like just kind of tall and like the yoga. Like tall. I just feel like you would be a carrot. Brandy? We're talking stature, about me. What do you think you would be since you don't like the carrot? I think I'd be a yam. I could see that. (laughs) (laughs) Or a sweet potato. Mm, Well, sweet potatoes are cute, and we've learned you don't want to be cute, so. Okay, then I'm a fucking yam. (laughs) I grow from the ground. Oh, this is the kind of quality content that you can come to expect. Yeah. From Are These Books Drunk? (laughs) 
Mariana, what part of the Thanksgiving spread are you? I'm the stuffing. The what? Mm-mm. Oh, the stuffing. You're what you put in the dead bird to make it taste good? Exactly. No. <laughs> but you're not. You don't the eat white bread, Thanksgiving, Mariana. no. If we're talking about vegetables is one thing. If we're talking Thanksgiving. I thought um, we were talking about like, Colombian the Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving play. Is Colombian Thanksgiving different, though? Maybe you're something from Colombian Thanksgiving. Well, hmm, that's hard to say because since I grew up in Miami, like we always celebrated Thanksgiving, and like yeah, we did it with like Colombian cuisine with a twist, I guess. But that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna go with the stuffing. I really don't know. I feel like you're the like mashed sweet potato with the marshmallow fluff like baked on top. Aww, oh, that's sweet. That's really nice. Thank you. What's that called? Candy down yeah. to the souffle. <laughs> but I feel like Mariana's the candied yams that get delivered from the restaurant, you know? Like the good like, one. The good They're quality. like the rent the runway <laughs> candied <boy>. yams. <laughs> oh boy. Mariana's the rent the runway candied yams. Yeah. What are you, Brandy? Now I have to keep playing this. I'm really in I love these personalization yeah, what are you, games. Well, so a lot of times at holidays, we do Mexican food. So if we were doing Mexican food, I'd be the red, the spicy red enchiladas Mm -hmm. that my mom makes. But if we're doing regular Thanksgiving, I think I'd be like gravy or something like that. Like she's saucy, ladies and gents. She's saucy. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, this drink is hitting my, my forehead. I'm feeling it in the middle of my third eye. How do we come back to this? I don't know. Can we take a break? I need to pee. I have to pee so bad. Oh, my. Okay, bye. Bye. I'll be here. Both Mariana and Brandy are peeing. I am sitting here in the booth, alone, in the dark, waiting for my two co-hosts. Someone, tell me a joke. Tell me something interesting. Make me feel less alone in here. While I wait for the ladies with the tiniest bladders ever. Where were we? Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brandy, but it seems to me like sisterly relationships... Um, there's like a like a kindred connection that I think yeah. you have that oh, no sure. other sibling relation can really understand. Yeah. Which I was thinking about when Corriday says of Ayula, it is a mystery how much feeling Ayula is even capable of. Yeah. I feel like she really like knows her in and out. And mm-hmm. it made me think so I started to think about the question and and uh how much feeling is she capable of and where does that come from if maybe she's right. not able to access her vulnerable sides and i was or wondering does she if, just not have empathy that was definitely a question that i had right like a like a sociopath <laughs> right <laughs> and I, so then i started to try to figure out where that came from and if it's because of her shitty dad which we haven't really gotten into we and something i'm really curious to talk to you two about or was she always just kind of like a dark non-empathetic person yeah the dad is a really big question mark for me totally 
And the story that gets told about the dad is really jarring. In relation to the knife? In relation to the knife and then the story that she tells about what happens to Ayula when she's caught handling the knife behind dad's back. He like drags her across the floor. Well, I think she says he throws her, doesn't he? He drags her by her hair out of, I think, his office and then throws her. And then he throws her. And Corriday watches that happen. Mm. I actually have a theory. Ooh. Tell us. I love a theory. (laughs) Because, again, Corriday is very adamant about saying that she knows she knew the other two victims, but she didn't know Femi, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they go on to talk about like a little bit more in detail, or Corday goes to talk a little bit more in detail or writes a little bit more about her father and the stories that her father made up, the way he treated yeah. them. And, and she even said that cleaning the knife when he was cleaning his life after telling the stories or like showcasing his knife to those who asked him about it. And she, and she was very detailed about this. That, that was the only time he she witnessed his tenderness. Right. Mm. And to be clear, this is the same knife that Ayula has used to murder these three men. I don't know if right. we had said that before. Yeah, I don't think we did. And then there was also this other point that she brought off that after her father passes away, they have to let go of all their staff. Right. They have a staff mm-hmm. that they grew up with. They have a house girl and they have I mean, I'm assuming they have a very lar- luxurious life, luxurious they did, life where yeah. they and have they all these employees staff for a while. It sounded like. Right. And then they say that the reason they let go of these individuals after he passes is for practical reasons. Mm-hmm. So I am wondering if the first victim was actually their father. I was thinking that too. I thought that too. And the reason why Corday ha- feels like the need to be this accomplice is because maybe Ayola protected yes. Corday yeah. yep. when her father tried to murder her yes. with that knife. And then that's why she has this like need and desire or... Like kind of a payback, being like, you saved my life. Now I need to help you through this. Right. And uh, Ayula got this innate like sociopath personality or this thing from her father that she is on a warpath to just basically beat up everybody, anyone who comes in her way that kind of attacks her the way her father attacked both of them. Right. And I wonder, too, if maybe he was really volatile towards their mom. And it's just kind of this overall, like, men treat women shitty, so the women kill the men. I kind of love that storyline. Oh, my God. Watch out, Ricardo. Emma, don't treat our bartender. (laughs) (laughs) I'll start making the drinks. Well, to that point, it's interesting. There's this really interesting quote at the end of one of the sections. Uh, Corday says, I'm not surprised she took the knife. She's talking about Ayula having taken the knife after their father's death. And then she says, if I had thought of it first, I would have taken a hammer to it. Mm-hmm. And it made me wonder, the, similarly, what's hiding in their childhood exactly. that makes Corday say this of her sister, that she's not surprised she took the knife. But then it also seems like there's something about this knife that the knife needed destroying. 
And it made me question what what did the knife could do? That, yeah, and I know that there's a quote that I was going to bring up later about objects having an inherent power or like will of their own and it made yeah, me wonder is there something about this knife that whoever sort of has it or is in possession of it it sort of causes them to do things because it does seem that their father had a very volatile uh, attitude and right. was very obsessed while he was in possession of it kind of like the ring and lord of the ring yeah <laughs> i just watched yes. the first movie for yes. the first time <laughs> <laughs> it's his precious. Wow, that's totally. interesting. And there was yeah. also a moment that when, speaking of the knife, when Corday wants to take that knife from Ayula because Ayula has kept the knife after she right. uses it to murder Femi. And Ayula does not want to get rid of it. And she even goes to say, it's the only memory I'll, be, I'll have of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Initially, when I read that, I thought she was talking about Femi. But then if we're following through with this theory, that would mean it's the last memory that she would have of her father. That's actually how I read it from the beginning. That's so interesting. But that makes it sound like it's a sweet thing. Like you want it as like a as a nice remembrance, not of a memory of like this guy. If you killed him with it, then it would be a great memory. It would be a trophy. He must have been really terrible. He but then it also goes to, I think, Brandy's point that the, that there, she has a dual personality, which there's a sweetness to her. So then this would be like a sweet memory, but it also like served as the duality of killing someone else. Right. Well, so there's a mention made of, um, I think this is while this is in the part of this story where the two sisters are making, I think it's pronounced F-O together, that spinach Oh, stew? Yes, that delicious F-O. spinach stew mm-hmm. that made me, like, salivate. There's mention made of Ayula getting in trouble as a child. When she smears chocolate on her father's knife, she's handling it while he's away or something. And there was this interesting mirrored moment in while they're making that stew or that soup where mm-hmm. Corday takes Ayula's phone from her while she's Snapchatting. And she smears it with oil as she deletes the Snapchat. And the way those two moments are described mm-hmm. in the book, it was really similar to me. And it, it almost felt like foreshadowing. Corday despises the way Ayula uses her phone to post to social media carelessly just days after she's killed Fem- Femi. I'm not sure, though, whether she hates it because it's so unfeeling or because she's afraid it's going to contribute to them getting caught. I couldn't quite put my finger on where Ayula's moral compass was in this moment, why she's so upset about the Snapchat. But the mirroring of those two moments together felt like foreshadowing and it felt like trouble to me. It made me wonder if Ayula is going to face a similar fate at the hands of Corday that she did at the hands of her father, only maybe worse at this point now that they're both adults. Does that make sense? Meaning mm-hmm. that Cordy was going to kill Ayula? Yeah. Like, it, it did make me, it, yeah, it made me wonder that. Huh. Is it going to come to that? It could, now that I'm thinking about the cliffhanger. Right. If she, uh, are we allowed she, to it's talk gonna about come things to a that choice. haven't happened yet that we think might happen? It's going to be a choice. 
of like sister or the man you love. Yeah, that well, you're and not, not love. I think obsess over, which yeah, I think even over. gives a, a more of an incentive, right, to see what you choose. But I think beyond that, it's like that is blood thicker than water argument. You know what I mean? I like, was you... gonna quote that later. It's I'm sorry. such a perfect quote, especially <laughs> because it's like blood. Yeah, Very but I, and I, I think to this point, blood has been thicker than water for Corday. She has protected her sister. She's murdered three people and Corday has helped her clean it up. But I think we're getting to the point possibly or protected with Today. herself. Possibly, we don't know. But I think we're getting to the point with point with Today who is sort of pitched in the book as this very clean, very genuine, very beautiful man. Yeah. Is blood thicker than water? Or at some point for Corriday, is morality going to come into play here saying, no, there's this beautiful, pure thing. Right. And I can't see it sullied. I think she already lost her morality morality a long time ago. For sure. (laughs) But I think she has a chance to redeem herself, even if it means she doesn't get to save herself. Mm. She might get to save somebody else. Who saves others. Who's a doctor and saves others. Oh, my God. And done. sings to little kids. Done and done. As I sip on my lady killer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to I want to quickly circle back to your question about the social media aspect, because that mm-hmm. was something that I felt kept coming up. It was so creepy. Yeah. Which made me think about, you know, that relationship of social media and announcement and tragedy and I feel like you know we're living in this world now where people get information from social media like people find out that people have passed on because of a post on social media yeah and I think I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of the pros and the cons of that because now we're living in such a tech-heavy world and you know, I like I lost my uncle fairly recently, and I remember like I didn't yeah. want to post about it right away because I wanted there mm-hmm. to be a moment. And he wasn't on social media anyway, but there was a part of me that still felt like I wanted to honor him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know really necessarily why I felt like I wanted that to be on Facebook because I could have just done that on my own. I didn't even <laughs> need know. to make a public thing about it. But I yeah. wanted to give him the respect that I felt like he deserved which is so ironic considering he didn't have a cell phone until a year ago like he was very untech savvy but still there felt like I needed to connect with people in that way and and it's the same way I kind of feel too whenever anyone gets engaged or has a baby or just like the the entire they want people to know I guess that's what it is yeah it's just like the the relationship of social media with with large events in your life has gotten so complicated and so tricky Mm -hmm. and and it was interesting that Ayula wasn't even thinking when she was about to post a like a fun photo what was it was it of the soup that they were making she was about I don't remember I don't think that was the first one but that was one of them yeah yeah because the first one she even somehow posted that she was the last one that she saw Femme before he went missing which is another point because you can post whatever you want and no one knows if it's real or not. Right. Like she made this whole fake post about how sad she was that he was gone, but it's all a lie, but no one would know that. No one would know that. 
Right, but then there is this weird perception, which is what Coraday is picking up on, which is like, hey, you're posting pictures of soup and your boyfriend right. just died. Like, what Hello? are you doing? This right. looks really suspicious. <laughs> it's like the Amanda Knox thing all over again. It's like, mm. hey, your roommate just died. Why are you doing the splits at the police precinct? <laughs> like, that looks really suspicious. Mm-hmm. Which I, I guess to Emma's point, there's there's a way where like that's why you are very conscientious and one and it was the relationship with social social media for you is so complicated because you didn't know how to honor your uncle like that's why you were like going back and forth and battling with that but with what Ayula is doing is she's creating her own story on right. social media which that I believe that a lot of people do and forgive right. me for all the social media buffs out there i i actually joined facebook five years ago so i was definitely against really? social media for a very wow. very long time or whenever we did the production of church of why not that was the first time i had ever joined oh social gosh. media oh that's how you we met guys, y'all that's how we all met yeah we met doing a, a production a, a play, play. A play. With Theater 167. Hey, hey. Ooh, hey Thanks for bringing us together, Ari. <laughs> I even remember going to my uh, high school reunion. What? Was that five years ago? I don't remember. You said That's five the years thing. Ago. I think it or was more than that. that was when Jason and I first started dating. We started dating when I started rehearsals for that show. So that was five years ago. I guess yep. so. Wow. Yep. Okay. So five Crazy. years and going strong. Cheers to that. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. But what I was going to say is I even went to my one of my high school reunions and everybody was in shock that I wasn't on social media on yet at all at that yeah. point. So I like, feel like cool there's this you. need. I'm sorry. You were like, I'm too cool for you all. Yeah. Well. And Andrew's still not on Facebook. (laughs) Not not necessarily because I really now do enjoy connecting with people that I haven't connected in a while. But I also I'm like, Emma, I have a very interesting relationship because I don't necessarily want to post something that I don't that I don't think that like that I I don't want to be creating a story or a facade that's not necessarily actually happening. And, And unfortunately, if I don't kind of create this sense of perfection then I feel lesser than when I look at other posts but all these other posts real or not exactly yeah right we don't know what stories are real what stories are not we don't really necessarily know if all this is happening at the moment some people are very tech savvy some people are not and some people know how to word things or change the stories around for, for to create I don't know Something that's not really there. And to that point, it did make me wonder if, and this might be totally out of left field and not valid at all, but it did wonder if Ayula was doing this social media posting as sort of a like, as sort of a ploy to trap Coraday. Because Coraday, I know there was mention made of like her sweat dropping at the crime scene and then she very quickly cleans mm-hmm. it up. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a big to do made about the fact that Coraday, you know, they put the body in her trunk and there was like a stain left from the ammonia where she tried to clean up the blood in her mm-hmm. trunk. Mm-hmm. So it made me wonder like, is all of the evidence linked to Coraday? 
And Ayula's possibly doing these social media posts as sort of a deterrent of like, I was dating this guy for a month. I had nothing to do with this. You and think somehow, to set her up, you mean? I wondered that. I did that have that thought. terrible. It would be, but she's a serial killer. <sighs> it was just a fleeting yeah. thought. It was a fleeting thought that I had where I was like, is she setting her up somehow as the fall guy? As what? As, like, the fall guy for for these crimes, for, like, all of them. Well, I don't think she's doing that in a very smart way then. Because she, like, shows up at the hospital where Corday works. So, like, that would be pretty Well, they're sisters. So it's not like that's... To that point, she shows up after Corday told her not to show up. Because she says, I have lunch alone. Ayuda had been calling her several times to be like, I want to have lunch with you. And she's like, why is she calling me? And then she shows up and she's like, why are you here? Knowing that I told you that I eat lunch at work. I'm not going to have lunch with you. So she doesn't follow instructions. <laughs> she doesn't follow orders why at all. does she show up at the hospital that day? Mm-hmm. Why does she want to have lunch with her? I feel like when I was reading it, I had an answer. And now I've forgotten whatever that was. A part of me feels like she senses that Corday is sort of... There's a reason we're starting the book at this moment, right? Because I had that question, too. Is like, well, if she's murdered two guys before this one, why is this one so special? You've helped her clean up twice. What is it about this one? Because now she's officially a serial killer. Exactly. But now one. she's officially a serial killer. And for the first time, it seems like Corday is really questioning what's going on here. It seems like she's sort of even pulling away from Ayula. She's not answering her phone calls. So I wonder if Ayula is sensing that. And feeling sort of a danger from it. And therefore feeling like she needs to pull Corday closer and sort of entrench herself in Corday's world a little bit. And her Dr. Today. Which I don't I don't know if we're ready to go there yet, but I'm ready. I'm ready to bring this sexy man into the mix. Do it. Do it. Go for it. Well, because Ayula showing up at the hospital, at first I was like did she know that Dr. Today was there because she shows up in this bright yellow dress with strappy right. green heels and her tits are hanging out? And I I don't think she did know about Today because that wouldn't really make sense. I guess she kind of always dresses in this sex appeal kind of way mm-hmm. in a way that makes Corday refer to Ayula as a Bratz doll. And then she is like right. the voodoo figurine, like the ugly right. Sad little doll. But honestly, that made me question it a little bit because I was like, fuck that. A voodoo figurine has a shit ton of power against a Bratz doll. Like, yes, but physically, in terms of appearance, it's a different thing. For sure. In appearances, yes. And I think that's what she meant by that. Actual value. I question that. I don't know about that, but okay. I'm going with you. I just thought of something going to that point because she mentioned that's not the first time that she calls Ayula a doll. She even says that when Femi and her win a relationship, if she was on the defensive, that Femi would see her as a doll because of her stature and her long lashes. So I'm curious Mm -hmm. and I'm like now thinking if Corday sees her sister as this doll, it's a doll she can manipulate and if mm. she's the voodoo doll, she's the one that's going to be able to pinprick her. and power. Like, yep. Interesting. So okay. interesting. But continue with your point, Emma, because we don't know that any of that is founded. But it was it's definitely in the mix. 
I wasn't going to make a point. I was just about to apologize oh. that my body's making so <laughs> many weird noises today. And <laughs> that's all I was going to say. I haven't, I haven't heard a single one. <laughs> oh, good. There's a lot of weird noises coming out of me. Well, to your point about the, the, the sort of voodoo doll thing, I got the sense throughout all of these little mini chapters that there was some kind of dark magic or witchcraft at play in this story. The image of Yinka sleeping with her eyes open, it just reminded me of a person in a trance. There was, the, you know, there's the mention of the voodoo doll. Ayula's looks seem to have the power to sort of charm people, even when she comes to the right. hospital. Everybody, people who are normally super kind of rude, are suddenly like just in I awe am? of her. Mm-hmm. And then there's this wonderful quote. I think we mentioned it earlier. Who is to say that an object does not come with its own agenda or that the collective agenda of its previous owners does not direct its purpose still? Hmm. Speaking of the knife, it's as if an object could bewitch a person. To me, it just felt like there was like weird magic surrounding some of these moments. Oh, I love that. I, I didn't know. get that, but I love that now that you're making that point. It may or may not come into play. It was just something that I kept on, like, little things would get mentioned, and I'd be like, oh, there's another little... Listeners, email us. Let us know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing that I wanted to mention was that it's worth noting that Femi, the man who was killed at the beginning of the book, was an extremely meticulous, clean, neat man. We know that from the way Corriday describes his living space. So far, all we know about Corriday and Ayula's father is that he was meticulous about the cleanliness and care he took of this knife, the very knife that Ayula uses to kill Femi. And I wondered, is it possible that she's killing men similar to her father? We don't know how her father died or how the knife ended up in her possession, but is it possible that he was number one? And now that she's met Dr. Tode, who we also know to be kind of a meticulous man, is it possible that this is his fate too or that this is why she's targeting him? I mean, I think that's a, a really keen observation about the meticulousness, the comparison of... Femi and the dad, that wasn't something I had picked up on. But I mean, I do, I don't know, I feel like it's like kind of obvious. Like I do feel like there's going to be that question of what happens to Tode down the road? Like, especially the way that she left us with this cliffhanger and Tode and Ayula locking eyes and he's like, who is this beautiful woman? And she's like, who is this sexy man? Like, I think it's pretty clear in my opinion that there's going to be something there and then I yeah. was going to want to kill him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like we've been saying. And it's going to come down to a question of... Is blood thicker than water? Which scientifically, yes, it is. Yeah. But it's today. But or, fictionally speaking, it might not be. Or? Or if we're going on the, in that train of thought, if Femi is so meticulous, her father was so meticulous... We know that Corday is extremely meticulous. Will Corday be the one to kill Today because of her obsession with him and him and she wanting to protect her sister because she already owes her sister something for if 
it, I know you looked at me very strangely, Brandy, but I'm going along with this train of thought. And then she would kill Tode because she can't have him and she doesn't want Ayula to have him either. Or if we're going with that train of thought. Or Ayula with kills the three of them being meticulous. Corday. I'm right. sorry. Or Ayula kills Corday. Right. There are no, a lot of options. But she's the narrator of the story. That can't happen. It yeah. can happen. We could get her last thoughts right before she just like puffs her last breath and then she's out and that's the end of the book. That could happen. <laughs> you said that so like matter of factly. Yeah. Her last breath and she's out. And then go. And she's She's out. Whatever. (laughs) You know, whatever. So we've sort of skated past this, but I do want to make sure we note it because it was such a cliffhanger moment. In the last chapter we read, titled Red, like the color red, Ayula walks into the hospital. She sort of entrances everybody. And despite... Corday's attempt to keep Tode from her, Ayula and Tode meet, and they sort of can't keep their eyes off of each other. What did you guys make of that moment? I did feel a little bit of apprehension from Tode as a sort of like, oh, I didn't know you had a sister, but he's intrigued. But there did seem to be something in him that was sort of like keeping her at arm's length for a second. Oh, did you guys I get that, that or as not like at all? Pure sexual all. attraction. Yeah. Okay. They just want to like and jump each other. Okay. I, I agree with that. I also think with the title of this chapter being red, when you see red, you're ready to kill. Or so fuck. who's going to kill? It's with the title. Haven't you ever heard that saying? I saw red. Mm, totally. And that was, but red is also like passion. And we don't sure. know is that like. Tode. I'm not saying the killing is going to happen right there. I'm saying that this is no, kind of, of a foreshadowing. Yeah. foreshadowing. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, could it be Tode and Ayula's passion for each other? Could it be Corday's passion for Tode and then her anger at Ayula for, like, intervening? Like, yeah. it could be lots of different reds. Well, whatever red, it, what the red means in this chapter, I guess let's close <laughs> it down. Okay. So for our last question... Speaking of this section, that moment when Ayula walks into St. Peter's Hospital, everybody sees her as she's walking in, and it seems to Corday that she writes, she has brought the sunshine in with her. Everyone stops, stares, or even drools at her. I'm wondering, have either of you ladies had a moment like that where everybody the the room the everybody just stopped and stared because you were just so fabulous or bright or you just brought in the sunshine because you were just everything oozing just everything emma as a little sweet potato did you have this uh experience in the thanksgiving play (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) all right just never just no i don't think so when Ricardo first saw you, you didn't feel like yeah. the world just stopped. There was a moment that you walked and everybody just because you Emma, connected eyes I with him. I will say at least at your wedding, 
when you like were walking down the aisle, you definitely had this effect on people. Yeah, you, you took like, our breath fucking... away. <sighs> Not just I feel were you like gorgeous. That doesn't count. That's a fucking wedding. Like people have no, to look at you. Of course it does, but you had the moment. Not only did you have the moment, the the, the like I felt like the sun and the the location and like everything just aligned for you because it was like sort of late in the afternoon and I feel like the sun just caught the your sun red literally hair. did actually come out which was crazy it did and then there was like all this green foliage around you and like it it literally did just like like I remember feeling like oh oh yeah, like, I, I definitely remember that at your wedding. That's so sweet. Yeah, I couldn't stop crying because everything was so beautiful. Was so stunning. Yeah, yeah, and then, like, you had all these friends who came out for you and did these beautiful grand things. And I do just remember feeling like, oh, like, oh, they had, like, this is a moment. That's really sweet. I mean, I do, I do feel like it doesn't really count in a sense because I'm like, it well, it's counts. your wedding. So, like. You know, like you're wearing the dress and then like you're walking down the aisle and people like have to look at you. But I I do feel like from a flip side of that, like if you want to flip the projection, I do remember having a moment of like standing inside the chuppah and like <laughs> looking around at everyone who was sitting around us and just feeling very loved. So Aww. if I want to like flip it a little bit, I do remember feeling like I was in a ray of sunshine, but because I had so many people that I loved around me. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. <laughs> and we were in the rounds because that's we how you were, set us up. Yeah. We were right we, we were, were the literally rays. surround you circling you. Yeah, that yeah. was a really that was that was sweet. Aww. It was beautiful. What about you, ladies? Yeah, what about you, Brendy? Right now that you're glistening in front I'm of us, so I mean, like really glistening. It's it's really you guys, cool. You're taking our breath away right now. <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing something. I don't know if it's taking your breath you're away. Taking your own breath away. It's happening. Um, <laughs> I I don't know that I can say I feel like I brought sunshine in with me. I've definitely had a couple of moments in life where like I just felt like nothing could go wrong. Kind of in the Harry Potter like Felix Felicis, like I took a spell sort of a thing Mm. um and I feel like I feel like those are they're like moments beyond your control you know what I mean like you can do everything it's that saying like when luck meets preparation no luck is when happen what happens when preparation meets Something like that. I know what you're talking Something. about. Yeah, I know what you're talking about too, but I can't right now. Anyway, Sorry. I, I feel like the latest a... killer is getting to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I maybe timing meets preparation. Yeah. Meets okay, luck. What timing meets preparation. Yeah. Opportunity. Opportunity is a word oh, in there. Opportunity is what happens when timing meets preparation. And luck. Something like that. Luck, luck is in there, too. <laughs> anyway, I've definitely had moments like that where I felt like I walked into a room and nothing could go wrong. And I don't know how to explain that. I don't know how to access that. There have just been like mm-hmm. a couple of times in my life where that has happened to me. Like an energetic field. Yeah, like just the stars sort of align and you just know what's coming. Yeah. Mm. And like, you know, it's going to be fine. Mm. Like, you know, it's going to be better than fine. Like, you kind of know you can't do wrong. And when I 
when I read this moment, that was what sort of clicked for me is like Ayula sort of is tapped into this frequency. She has access to this frequency where she knows that when she looks a certain way or when she smiles a certain way or when she speaks to someone a certain way, like she just knows they're going to be on her side or like she can win them over. Wrapped around the finger. She has that X factor. She has them wrapped around her finger. Exactly. Mm-hmm. What about you, Mariana? Um, Hearing your ladies talk about this, because I really didn't think about it too much. I just, I was very interested in that moment that Ayula had and just the way that everybody stopped and stared. And for me, it was more of a thing of like everyone losing their breath and just being in Mm -hmm. awe of her, no matter what was behind that. I now am thinking one of the dance performances that I had, and granted, it's a dance performance, so everybody has to be watching you. Sure. But the way I felt, it was at the Joys 2009. Oh, I love I was dancing with... um, Jennifer Muller, The Works, and mm. it was opening night. So it was the gala. I was very lucky to be given the lead role in the first oh. piece that it was a revival of a piece that she had done in the 70s entitled Tub. Cool. And I actually started in a tub full of water oh on stage God. at the Joyce, which we only rehearsed a few times. And of course, we had the the Marley and everything was yeah. catered to that. So we wouldn't slip once we started dancing right. and got out of the tub because everybody entered the tub at some point. But I started in the tub and I remember I always I had to soak my hair and you guys know how long my hair is. Yeah, There is a moment where I put my hair in the tub and then I basically arch back and you can see and yes. you can see the arc because of the lights are on me, you can see that arc That's just cool. trickle down with the droplets of water. Oh. And I remember hearing the audience. I'm eating. I'm even getting goosebumps right now. I heard the audience just gasp for oh. air because it was just such a beautiful image. And it's something that I'll that moment I will never forget because it was just me being in my own, just feeling so empowered knowing that everyone was along for that ride and I was just telling a story of a woman who felt empowered Mm. and who felt free that's so for me that was like one a moment that I will never forget especially that I can't no longer dance now it's something that I that will (sighs) never leave me oh I love that so I know that I brought sunshine to a lot of people that day oh yeah that's and there's that. Really moving. <laughs> it's really beautiful. <laughs> Look at us. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Turned a serial killer moment into something really nice. <laughs> into something really special and beautiful. <laughs> special and beautiful. Well, on that note. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Big thank you to Jimmy Fontanez and Meteorite Productions, as well as Text Me Records for our music. If you haven't already, please, guys, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten star review. <laughs> yeah, you know, sky's the limit. Yeah. <laughs> and I think by now you've probably all followed us on Instagram because otherwise you wouldn't be here with us knowing what book we're reading. So better good now. on you. Yay. <laughs> but just in case, you can still head to at Are These Books Drunk so that you can keep up with next week's chapters and cocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. 
Cause it. Cause it's always happy hour here. here. Ow, ow. <laughs> oh, bye. Salud. Bye, ladies. Bye.